Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey, podcast lovers. My name is Haley, and I run the Doe Identify podcast. I have been passionate about helping the unidentified get their names back ever since I found out I lived within miles of where Sherry Ann Jarvis, formerly known as the Walker County Jane Doe, was found. In my podcast, I tell the stories and provide information about unidentified people in hopes of reaching their loved ones and getting their names back. So come join me and help me advocate for these people. You never know, you could recognize someone's story. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays Before the Ghouls, a Podmouth podcast. How are you doing, Haley? I'm fucking hot. You know what? I share that sentiment. <laughs> I know. It's been last week, it was over 100 every day, which means it felt like over, over 100. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it was 102 and it was like, feels like 115. And I'm like, how do they like do that? You know, like, why don't they just say it's 115 outside? Because this is not 115. I know. So, like, here it's very humid. So, when it gets hot, it feels hot. But, like, in the desert where it's dry, when it's 100 degrees, it feels like 100 degrees. You know what I mean? Interesting. So, depending on how much humidity there is, it the feels like gives you an idea of if the heat is thick and, and moist <laughs> or if it's dry and easy. Because dry heat's much easier to, like, withstand. It's like we're talking about weather, right? Yeah. Someone just clipped the Catherine saying thick and moist. Thick and moist. Okay, let me give you a nice clean cut. Thick and moist. Good girl. Good boy. (laughs) Just for you, baby. So it's hot everywhere because I guess it's summer or something. I can't wait for fucking fall. Me either. I was built for the fall and winter season. I was not built for spring and summer. What are we talking about, Catherine? This week is going to be a little strange because as we talked about last week, if you listened to the podcast last week, this is our 101 episode. So you know how like classes are like 101, 102, right? Well, Haley was thinking, why don't you do like a true crime 101? And I was like, I don't know how to do that because I don't really understand. Like, what what would I be 101-ing you about? Like, would I be one-on-one on you about like how to get away with murder? Like, I don't really, I don't want to teach people how to crime, you know? So then I had this bright idea of doing, if you're new to true crime, these are like, these are cases that you're going to want to know if you're new to true crime. So I have five. There's a lot that are like very popular and we're going to do like a kind of high level overview. I didn't deep dive, not at all. Not even a little bit did I deep dive. So we're going to talk about five different cases or serial killers. And this is very common if you're new to true crime. Does that sound right, Haley, from what I explained to you? Yes. Okay. So you know me. I'm here to impress Haley because she's the one who has to sit here and talk to me about whatever I'm talking about. So I tried to sprinkle in some people that I know that she likes or has been intrigued by in that kind of oh i already know one (laughs) i don't i don't think you do (laughs) really i mean i don't think it's that one that i'm thinking of if you said i know one 
So okay, I can okay, I can think of two, three, four. Oh my god, I can think of a few. Okay, so I think at least one is probably on that list. Okay, I'm not sure if like there might be two. It's kind of going to be like an urban legends kind of thing, but it's just me. And then maybe sometime I can do a true crime 101 lesson every so often and we could bring you some popular ones. Because like I've always said in the podcast, I'm never going to do these cases <laughs> like on my own deep dive because they're so big They're Everyone touches them and I don't want to be wrong. It's, I'm not. It's like I'm not putting my hand in the cookie jar. It's, so I'm being like basic ass bitch, like bare minimum, whatever you need to know kind of like the deets but other than that it's not very much we'll hop right into it with numero uno which i put on here because of Haley. oh and it's jack the ripper aha yes so this is a quote from the article jack the ripper was an unidentified serial killer active and around the impoverished Whitechapel district of london england in the autumn of 1888 so he old. He's one of those old ones. And you know Haley, she loves old crime. Yeah. <laughs> like so back good. in the olden days, he was also called the Whitechapel murderer and leather apron. I had never heard of when I was researching this, mm-hmm. so I was like, that's interesting. So Jack the Ripper attacked women who were working as sex workers who lived in, quote, the slums of East End London. When he found these women, he would slice their throats and then mutilate them by removing their internal organs. So people suspected he probably had surgical knowledge of some sort, something like that. So between the dates of September of 1888 and October of 1888, many letters were received um, from people claiming to be Jack the Ripper, claiming, claiming to be responsible for all of these murders. Jack the Ripper, the actual name Jack the Ripper, was originated from one of the letters that was sent to the police, and it was called the Dear Boss Letter. But people think that this letter may have been faked by journalists so that they could get sell more newspapers and stuff. Uh, but the letter read like this. Dear Boss, I keep hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gives me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work, the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and I want to start again. You will soon hear me and my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send it to the police officers just for a jolly, won't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind giving me a trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands curse it no luck yet they say i'm a doctor now now to be honest this doesn't sound like someone in the 1800s or late 1800s to me personally but it's also someone who's british (laughs) anyway so that's when he supposedly coined his name as jack the ripper but again 
a lot of people think it was because the journalists wanted to sell more papers and get more stories out about Jack the Ripper. In the quote from Hell Letter, which is what it was called, this was sent to George Lusk, who was a member of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, and it was received along with a human kidney. And this letter sounds a lot different from the first letter. It says, from hell, Mr. Lux, sar, I'm, guess, I'm guessing he meant sorry. I send you half the kidney I took from a woman, preserved it, and took another piece, fried it, and ate it. Very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. And this one sounds different than the first letter, which makes me believe that potentially the first letter was just like journalists, or one of them is not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And why would a journalist send a kidney? <laughs> a human kidney. So, like, I guess it would make sense that the Jack the Ripper one was the journalists. But, again, I have no idea. It was back in the late 1800s, so. In Whitechapel, there were a series of 11 murders between 1888 and 1891. At least five of these murders were attributed to Jack the Ripper, um, but there could potentially have been more. We're not 100% certain about all of them. And then there was this quote from the article that says, the murders were never solved. The legends surrounding these crimes became a combination of historical research, folklore, and pseudo-history capturing public imagination to the present day so again there's no way to know who jack the ripper ever was because he's long gone now even if he if he was alive ever he's long gone now so there's there's no way to know but it's kind of i feel like it's kind of gotten like the story's gotten away from us you know it's like telephone right yeah It's, it's been told so many times it's becoming folklore instead of like an actual thing that happened yeah but anyway, that's the story of Jack the Ripper. Yay! I love that <laughs> one. Did you have anything to add? I would honestly say, like, yeah, it is more folklore now because, like, a lot of people, they made games about it. They yeah. made books about it. Books. There's movies. There's shows. Like one of one of my shows that I'm watching right now, the slasher show that I told you about. Mm-hmm. This season is called The Ripper. And I was really confused at first because the guy that gets killed in the beginning, he looks like what Jack the Ripper possibly would look like. And currently in the show right now, like the, the person that's killing them, they think is a female. So it's a little different, I would say. Yeah. It, but, but yeah, that one's always kind of fascinated me. Okay, so number two, our second case is H.H. Holmes or... Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. Yay. So he was born in New Hampshire in May of 1861. And he had an early criminal career that included like fraud and forgery and real estate scams, things like that. Eventually, he earned his doctorate's degree from the University of Michigan. And he was married with his first wife. He had one daughter. Then he married another wife. Then he filed for divorce, which never went through. Then he married his third wife, and he also had an affair with one of his associate's wife. So he's, put, he's putting his dick in everything. This man, a little ho, ho, ho. He's a ho, for sure. Yeah. So in one of his real estate scams, I believe, he obtained this pharmacy building in Chicago. 
and he built a block long three-story building and he called it the castle he opened this as a hotel in 1893 the bottom floor had shops on it the top floor was his personal office and the middle floor was a maze of over a hundred window windowless rooms and he swapped builders while they were making it so no one knew what was happening and what was being made here and so over the period of three years Holmes selected female victims among his hotel guests and tortured them in these soundproof rooms and escape proof chambers that were fitted with gas lines that meant that anytime he wanted to, he could asphyxiate a woman at any time with gas. Once they did die, he would put the bodies down this chute to go into the basement and he sold the bodies to medical schools or he cremated them. After 1893's World Fair, he began traveling outside of Chicago and supposedly he murdered people all over across the world while he was doing his travels. In 1895, he was arrested because he was found with the dead body of his former associate and three kids. On August 19th of that exact same year when he was arrested, his hotel burned down. And when they went to go put out the flames, the police and firemen found out exactly what was happening here. So the number of victims that H.H. Holmes has is anywhere from 20 to 100 and could potentially be as high as 200 victims, mostly women, but there were some men and children. He was put on trial for murder, and he confessed to 27 murders and six attempted murders. Um, and on May 7th of 1896, he was hung. And the this is a quote from the article. The executioner asked, quote, are you ready, Dr. Holmes? Which Holmes said, yes, don't bungle. And the executor did, in fact, bungle, however, because Holmes' neck did not snap. Instead, he died a slow, painful strangulation over the course of 15 minutes. I mean, if I was the executioner, I would accidentally bungle a lot of people. I mean, okay, if you have H.H. Holmes on the rope, if you could make him suffer, you probably should. That's all I'm saying. So... That was that's H. H. Holmes for you. Yeah, that's another one that I like. Yeah. H. H. Holmes, they a lot of people say that he is America's first serial killer. Mm-hmm. So are we ready to move on to the next one? Yes. Okay. Do you want to guess what this one might be? I, I mean, this is impossible for you to guess because there's a billion people it could have been, but just take one stab. I'm going to channel it to you right now. Okay, if it's what I think it is, I immediately thought Ted Bundy. Is it Ted Bundy? Yes. Oh my god. I channeled it to you. you. The reason why I was like, you should guess this one is because I mention it every time. I'm like, I don't want to do a big a big case because Ted Bundy's like, has so many victims and has, you know, a very large career against him. And I thought like, in 101, what would 101 be without Ted Bundy? Okay. <laughs> Ted Bundy was born in Vermont on November 24th. Oh, it's like Catherine. If you guys don't know, our birthdays are November 20th and November 21st. Our birthdays are not safe. Okay. So he went to Woodrow Wilson High School in Tacoma, Washington. Very close to Haley and where I used to live. He then went to college at the University of Puget Sound in Seattle. 
1965. He then dated Stephanie Brooks, and she broke up with him in the fall of 1968. And she looked a lot like his common victim. And then in the fall of 1969, he started dating Liz Kendall, who he dated for the majority of his criminal career. And then he graduated from college in 1973. Okay. So his first murder, and now I did not, okay, again, I didn't deep dive into these. His first murder was this person named Lonnie. And then he seriously injured Lonnie's roommate. And then that was that was back before he graduated college, right? And then starting in November 23rd of 1973, women started going missing and then their bodies started popping up, found in Washington. There were a total of nine victims, 10, including Lonnie. But Lonnie wasn't during like the initial timeline from November of 73. Washington, there were nine victims. Oregon, there was one. Utah, there were three. Then he botched in a, a kidnapping. That's very important. Then he kidnapped and murdered three more people. He was arrested at a traffic stop because he had burglary tools with him, um, but they released him back. There was one more person in Utah. He was kind of in like limbo. He was not being held and he was not, you know, being watched. So then he also got five victim in, victims in Colorado, two in Idaho, and then he was found guilty for the attempted kidnapping of Carol. And then he was sentenced to one to 15 years and he, they waived a, dur- a jury trial. After the sentencing, this was a very muddy time in his life. But what happened was, is he escaped custody when he was trying to prepare for a case and a trial from a library. He was then recaptured six days later at a traffic stop. He then escaped jail again a second time and fled to Tallahassee. He abducted and murdered three more women. So then in Florida... He was driving a stolen car and he got pulled over on February 15th of 78. Mind you, it was it was June of 76 when he was sentenced to one to 15 years. So in February of 78, he was arrested again because he was in a stolen car. He was put on trial for the additional three murders that happened in Florida while he was there. And on February 9th of, eight, of 1980... Two years later, he was finally sentenced to death. So he went to jail to await his execution. On June 2nd of of 1986, 15 minutes before he was scheduled to die, his execution got halted. On November 18th, 1986, seven hours before he was scheduled to die, his execution got halted again. So on November 17th, 1989 final death warrant was issued on january 24th 1990 he was executed in the electric chair 7 16 a.m oh this man's really got ni- he got nine lives at least how does ted bundy escape the police two times he's he's a charming white man he's a con artist you know mm-hmm. 
So that's how Ted Bundy got a big shock of his life. The final shock of his life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, his experience must have been electrifying. Yeah, really. I mean. Jeez. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Number four is Ed Gein. Or oh. the butcher of or the butcher of Plainfield. <laughs> oh, Leatherface. Right. The actual Leatherface. Okay. So again was born in August 27th of 1906. His mother was very religious. She it was him and his brother, and she told her sons that all women are quote instruments of the devil, except for her. She hated her husband, who could never keep down a job. They lived Pretty much in isolation on a 155-acre farm. Ed was very shy, and even when he tried to make friends, his mother punished him for it. So he was severely underdeveloped socially, and there was just nothing, there was nothing to do about it. On April 1st of 1940, his father died from a heart failure due to alcoholism, and he and his brother decided to start providing support and help with the family farm. And then four years later, on May 16th, 1944, Ed was burning down overgrown brush on the farm. And the, the fire got out of hand and out of control. So the fire department had to come and help put it out. Later that day, Ed reported his brother as missing. And so they searched for Henry through all the fields of all the acres that they owned, And they found him out in the fields with his body face down in the ground. At the at the time when they found him, they said the cause of death was heart failure because he wasn't injured and he wasn't burned from the fire. So it must have just been that his heart gave out while he was working out in the yard. Some thinks that it's possible to ha that they had maybe a little Cain and Abel situation where Ed may have murdered Henry. But the police say that there was no evidence of foul play. So there was no evidence to prove that he had any kind of like head trauma or anything like that. But... Some people do think that maybe it was a Cain and Abel situation. So now it was just Ed and his mom. His mom was pretty paralyzed from a stroke that she had after her husband died. And on December 29th, 1945, she passed away. And Ed was devastated because basically he was socially stunted and he was all alone now. Everyone was dead except for him. So... He kept the farm, but he boarded up all of the rooms that were um, used by his mom. So like her bedroom and the parlor and blah, blah. So all he did was he lived in a small room next to the kitchen and he used the kitchen and the restroom. He didn't live in any of the other parts. The other parts of the house were pristine, exactly how it was when his mom was alive. And his kind of sections of the house started kind of looking a little... Worse for wear, if you might want to say that. So he was kind of working as a handyman. He was taking care of the farm. He was doing a lot of... So on November 16th, 1957, the owner of a hardware store went missing, though. And the store had very few customers that day. And Ed Gein actually had come in the day before and was told that we would have antifreeze when he came back. So he was supposed to come back the day that the person went missing and get antifreeze. The last receipt was sold, was antifreeze. 
the son of the hardware store owner told that to the police. And so Gein was arrested and they searched his farm and they did in fact find the hardware store owner, but she was decapitated in a shed. She was quote hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrist. And she was like when they, when you, when hunters cut open a deer to like release all of their organs, that's how she was found. So she had no internal organs anymore. All the mutilations were made post-mortem. So she had been like shot and then he hung her and mutilated her. The list of the other things that were found on Edgar Gein's farm, grass, hay, animals, whole human bone fragments, wastebasket made of human skin, a human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls with some tops sawn sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from a female torso that was skinned from shoulders to waist, leggings made from human skin, masks made from the skin of female heads, Mary Hogan, who had went missing, her face mask in a paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box, Bernice Warden, who was the hardware store owner's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's stove, nine volve in a shoebox, a young girl's dress and, quote, the vulvas of two female females judged to have been about 15 years old, a belt made from female human nipples, four noses, a pair of lips on the window shade drawstring, a lampshade made of skin of a human face, and fingernails from female fingers. All of those things were taken pictures of and properly disposed of after being photographed. Gross. Edgeen told investigators that between the years of 1974 and 1952, he had made 40 visits to local graveyards at night to exhume bodies. He claimed that he was in a complete daze and that he didn't know what he was doing And 30 times, he snapped out of his days in the middle of whatever he was doing, and he left without anything. But during the other 10 times, he was exhuming bodies to piece together someone who resembled his mother. After her death, he even made a woman's suit so that he could be his mother again. Ed claimed that he did not have any kind of sexual intercourse with bodies. And on November 20. First, sorry, Haley. Ed was charged with one count of first degree murder. He pled not guilty due to insanity. Ed was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found he was unfit for trial. So they sent him to a max security facility in Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. 1968, the doctors gave him the green light, claiming that he was of sound mind to participate in a trial. On November 7th, He began trial, and within one week, on November 14th, he was found guilty, and there was a second trial for his insanity, which he was deemed not guilty due to insanity. 
So his sentence at the end of all those trials was that he was to spend the rest of his life at the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane or other mental institutions that they had found fit as he aged. So on July 22nd of 1984, he died due to respiratory failure because of lung cancer. That's the story of Ed Gein. Ed Gein. He is the inspiration for Leatherface. Okay. Do you have anything to add about Ed Gein? I hated reading the list of things that they found. I know. I could tell in your face you were like, Ugh. It's just when they got to the vulvas, I was like, I didn't know why? about that one. I didn't either. Not before I did this. I knew of the lampshade. I knew of the, like, a lot of the other things, like the skulls and stuff. That's, that's gross. Yeah. Let's move on to number five. Okay. Our last and final one is Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer. Name sounds familiar. Yes. Okay. So he was born in California on December 18th, 1948. He was a middle child and there was an older sister and a younger sister. During his childhood, he was very antisocial and he tortured animals a lot. At the age of 10, he buried a cat alive. And once the cat died, he dug it up and decapitated it. Sad. Mm -hmm. At the age of 13, he also killed the family cat because it seemed to like his younger sister more than him. Which I would understand that he probably, the cat didn't like him very much. Yeah, the cat's like, you killed my brethren. Right. He even kept pieces of it in his closet until his mom found it when she was cleaning his room. During his childhood, he had a couple of near-death experiences where he almost drowned in the deep end of a pool and his sister almost pushed him in front of a moving train on the train tracks. So he had, quote, a severely dysfunctional relationship with his mother. He was neurotic, domineering alcoholic who frequently belittled him humiliated him and abused him by the age of 15 he was 6'4 and she consistently made fun of how big he was and how tall he was she told him that no one would ever love him and she wouldn't show him any affection because she said it would quote turn him gay so we know he had like a class a mom the mom obviously wasn't any part of his trauma um, right at, right so 14 he ran away to be with his dad his parents divorced and his dad moved and so he ran away at 14 to go live with his dad his dad had remarried and had another son and after a little bit of time his dad sent him to live with his grandparents he fucking hated living with his grandparents he hated his grandmother and he said that his grandfather was so senile that it was awful so on August 27th, 1964, 15 years old, he and his, his grandmother were arguing in the kitchen and he left and came back with a hunting rifle and shot his grandmother in the head. And then he shot her in the back twice. Then when his grandfather came home from the grocery store, he had walked outside and shot him before he walked in the house in the driveway. He didn't know what to do, so at that point, he called his mom, and his mom said, call the police and wait right there. So he did. And the police arrested him, and during his interview, he said, I just wanted to know what it felt like to kill grandma. And then he said that he killed his grandfather because he didn't want his grandfather to have to see his dead wife. So he did it out of, like, 
you know, for for his for his grandfather, I guess. But still, at the end of the day, you killed him. Right. These crimes were quote deemed incomprehensible for a 15 year old to commit, and the court psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoia schizophrenia. They sent him to, and I'm probably going to butcher this, Gladys Cadro State's Hospital, a maximum security facility for the mentally ill convicts. And he was a model prisoner. He even helped his psychiatrist with administering psychiatric tests to other inmates. Like, he was like model prisoner. Everyone loved him. He, he got along with people. And on December 18th of 1969, which was his 21st birthday, he was released on parole to go stay with his mother. And on November 29th, 1972, his juvenile record was completely and utterly expunged permanently. So he didn't have any record anymore because that all happened when he was a minor. It was expunged and he no longer had to handle the repercussions. Edmund really wanted to be a police officer, but unfortunately, due to his height, he was denied. When he was 21, his height had reached 6'9". He was a very tall, tall, big man. So he started going to school at a community college, and eventually he got a job at the California Division of Highways. Between May of 1992 and April of 1973, he murdered eight women. This is a quote from the article. He would pick up the female students who were hitchhiking, take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, smother, and strangle them. He would then take their bodies back to his house where he would decapitate them. And then he would have sexual intercourse with their corpses. And then he would eventually dismember them. Among the victims were five college students, one high schooler, and his mom and his mom's best friend. After the last murder, he called the police and confessed everything. Everything that was happening, everything he had done. So on May 7th of 1973, just the next month after, he was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder. Due to the confession, there was really not a lot of leeway of what they could do for him because he basically was like, I did all this stuff. So they had him plead not guilty due to insanity. While he was in custody awaiting trial, he tried to kill himself twice. On October 23rd, the trial began. Three psychiatrists found him to be of sound mind and able to withstand trial. So on November 1st, he testified that he, quote, killed the victims because he wanted them for myself, for possessions is what he said. So on November 8th of 1973, the jury found him sane and guilty. At that point, he said, please give me the death penalty then. Death by torture, please, is what he said. Because he was in California, capital punishment was actually suspended. So they could not give him any kind of death sentence or death penalty. So instead, he was sentenced to seven years to life for each murder, and he would serve those consecutively. While he was in prison, he again was a model prisoner. And he still is a model prisoner in prison today. In 1979, he was eligible for parole for the first time. And he was denied, obviously. Again, in 1980, 1981, 92, he was also denied. He didn't go back to go to parole until 1988 
where he was denied again. And Edmund said, quote, society's not ready in any shape or form for me, and I can't fault them for that. In 1991, 1994, 2007, and 2017, he also was denied parole. He is next eligible for parole in 2020. He's still alive. Oh my God. And he's still kicking. He's still trying to get out. But I don't think that's a good idea, to be honest. No. At all. So I'm hoping they continue their denial of his parole just solely on how severe his crimes were. You know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised he only got seven years to life for each case, for each murder. I'm surprised he's still alive. Yeah. He's 74. Jeez. Now, if anyone has watched Mindhunter, they had someone play Edmund Kemper in Mindhunter. Looks just like him, too. He seriously does. I would say there's a lot more, like, sexual crimes against that that he... From what I know about Edmund Kemper, if you go deeper in, I think there was a lot more, like, sexual reasons for the reasons he did things. I don't know Ed Kemper like that, though. Yeah. I think I've heard the name, but I didn't know what he did. There was this one thing I read while I was doing my research for Edmund Kemper is that his older sister was like, why didn't you try to kiss my teacher? And he said, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not sure the quote exactly, but he said, if I was going to kiss her, I'd have to decapitate her first. And he said that when he was a teenager. Oh my God. And, And like, supposedly when he was doing those things to animals, he was getting aroused. And so like any kind of like, murder basically was like a, a an arousal to him and so that's why and again i didn't deep dive any further than what i've just told you but that's kind of why i'm saying that there's probably a lot more sexual deviancies to that especially because his mother was so humiliating and horrible to him you know what i mean yeah that fucks people up anyway so that's the story of Edmund Kemper the also considered the co-ed killer you did a good job I'm glad you liked it what's next week horror movie oh we're gonna do smile or are you gonna think about it okay yeah we can there's so many good movies I know and it's gonna be another four weeks till you get another movie time we could do two horror movies this month instead of Spooky Week, if you wanted. I was we like, could do it for could like more... Summerween. We could do two hot horror movies. For Summerween? Yeah. I mean, whatever you want. I, I really don't care. But that would mean that we could do Smile and a movie that you want to do. You know what I mean? Anyway. So, uh, Haley, do you have anything to tell the Spooky Babes before we go? Spooky Babes. Hope you have a good day. Hopefully I can bring y'all some spooks next week. Might be smile, so for summer ween. Summer ween. And July is commonly referred to as like summer ween. Like you know, it's like halfway through the year. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay. It's the middle of summer. You can be spooky in summer. Well, I hope you enjoyed Catherine's little true crime one oh one. I did. And if uh, if you guys liked it, you should tell us so that we can do it again. Yeah. Hope you have a good day. We love you.
anyway, spooky babes. I'm glad that you guys hung out with us to talk about some really big, well-known crime cases and serial killers. I just remember you are loved and you are appreciated here. The world is a better place with you in it. And we will see you in your nightmares.